Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Your Bible once again to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 9 this morning. This morning I'm asking you to grab your Bible and not a self-help book or a New York Times bestseller this morning. We choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas and I'm sure you can name them, but let's do it quite quickly. We believe in sola fide which is faith alone. We believe we believe in sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. We believe in sola Christus, which means Christ and Christ alone. We believe in sola gracia, a Latin phrase that means grace and grace alone. We believe in sola deo gloria, a Latin phrase once again that means God alone receives the glory. So this morning as we open our Bible, looking in Luke chapter number 9, the last time we were together, we saw an argument between the disciples in Luke chapter number 9, verse 46 on to verse 48. We saw these disciples who were arguing about who's the biggest and the baddest of the kingdom. Now this happens right when Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration is just a big fancy word where Jesus poured back the veil to show everybody His glory and His majesty. Whenever He got to the bottom of the mountain, there His disciples were totally defeated. They were flabbergasted. They were beaten up because there stood someone they could not help. It's possible as we look in the text that they got too big for their britches. They got too fancy. They believe that they are that important. They probably said, everybody watch me as I cast out this demon out of this child. At that point, they failed. Jesus shows up and He does it with power and authority. Of course Jesus does it because we know that Jesus reigns over everything. Some people have a theology and an understanding that goes a little like this. That God reigns everything in the heavens but everything under the earth is hell and that's where the devil sits on the throne and he's standing there with his minions going <laughs> we rule over everything. But I want to let you know biblically that God is sovereign. He reigns over it all. He created everything. I want to let you know that if you make some something. You have full rights to it. You can do whatever you want with it because you created it. That's true of our sovereign God. Sovereignty is just a big word that means He's the boss. God reigns. He reigns over everything. And Jesus being fully God and fully man reigns over everything. As we read in Colossians, He is the imprint of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. A down to earth deity is what we believe. He's not half God, half man. He's fully God and fully man. So now you're all caught up. We see now Jesus has gathered His disciples. He tells them, He tells them, you must be like this little child as He brings a child into His presence. And we spoke about last week having a childlike faith. Not a childish faith. Childish is where you want what you want. You want it now. I don't care what it hurts or what it... Uh, it's a selfish kind of faith. But Jesus says you must have a childlike faith to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, we talked about that last week. And if you missed it, it's okay. I'll just review it really quick now. To be a childlike in your faith is just believe Jesus. Just believe Jesus. If you make a promise to a child, the thing is the child believes you. If you make a promise to a child, they just believe. If you're saying, well, I'm going to take you to get Oscar, they'll run to their room and put their flip-flops on, even if it's cold outside. They're going to go. They're ready because they just believe you. Can we be childlike in our faith and just believe God? 
Can we believe in that He won't leave us or forsake us? Can we? Can we just believe in that our ledger is wiped clean, that we don't have to carry any more guilt, that we're redeemed, we're saved? Can we just believe that? Can we just believe in that there's new mercies and new graces for us every day? Amen, somebody. I'm already preaching better than you're acting. This morning, now we look in verse 49. For you would think that these guys would have their mess together. You would think the disciples would have matured a little bit walking with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. And nowhere do we read in the Gospel that Jesus looks at them and says, you know, you ain't developing quick enough. You ain't got your stuff together. You still got a lot of that. I'm going to have to cut you from the team. You're going to have to go. We're going to trade you out and get somebody who has more, more, more giftings than you. No, Jesus is long-suffering and patient with them. Thanks to God that He does that. For what if Jesus cut me from the team because I haven't developed as quickly as my neighbor? Amen, somebody. We see in verse 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And, he, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And John was walking and he saw somebody invoking the name of Jesus. Now this person was not one of the 72 and he certainly wasn't one of the 12. And John tried to stop him. Hey, 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 you can't get a part of this franchise. You ain't in the team. You ain't on our team. You can't just go around throwing his name around. What does Jesus do? What does he say? But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. How many times do we do that, church? Do we? We say, Well, you ain't on my team. You don't go to my church. You ain't on the road. You ain't a member. So, so you just can't go around and saying you're on the Jesus team. See, we need to understand there's open hand issues and there's closed hands issues to be a Christian. Open hand issues go a little something like this. Open hand issues are things that you can say, well, that's not a big deal. We're not going to separate over it. We're not just going to say, hey, you're not part of us. You're not part of the kingdom of God. Open hand issues like, which is better? Contemporary music or hymnals? That's just open hand. That's preference. That has nothing to do if you're a Christian or not. You have your preference, absolutely. I do too. But it's open hand. We can compromise that. We don't have to have banjos every service. And we don't need an electric guitar every service. It's open hand. It's an open hand issue. Open hand issues can run from... Well, do we have flat screens in the church or not? Or do we, have, do we have chandeliers or do we have color lights? Do we have fog machines? Yeah, yeah, I understand that a lot of churches do entertainment because there's no anointing there. I know that, I know that. But that's, that's an open-end issue. God can still move there. God can still save people at a rock concert. He still can. He's still God. Let's just say that. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. Do we have coffee in the foyer or not? Well, that's an open-hand issue. If the preacher weren't boring, they wouldn't need coffee. I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings. If the preacher can keep you awake while he's preaching, then, 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 then that's a good thing. That's an open-hand issue. If your preacher is, if he's monotone and he speaks like this, and okay, if you learn from that, good. Go wherever you're getting fed. Just go. Amen, preacher. Go ahead. That's an open-hand issue. Well, do you wear shorts to church and pants? Or do you wear flip-flops? That's an open-hand issue. Maybe that's all they got. You don't know. That's an open-hand issue. Well, what, what about 
What about eating meat on Fridays? That's an open hand issue. Maybe you eat fish, maybe you eat steak. It don't really matter. That's open hand. We read in the, we read in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, that, that, that we're not to call anything unclean that's clean, uh, that Peter saw a vision and all that jazz. Uh, we're not living under Levitical law anymore. Uh, it's an open hand issue. Well, what, if, what about if the, uh, a Christian smokes? Can a Christian smoke? How about this? Uh, well, you can still go to heaven smoking, but it smells like you've been to hell. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> Don't let anything rain over you. That's an open-end issue. Maybe they're not further along in their sanctification than you are. Who are we to judge? Amen, preacher. Right. Open-hand issues. Those things that we're not going to divide over. What about sprinkling? Well, we just sprinkle somebody to be baptized. Or we dunk them under the water until the bubbles stop. Whatever. Which one is it? Open-hand issues. I ain't really worried about that. You, you tell me. You tell me the thief on the cross when he was hanging there. And he was dying. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Remember me when you get to your kingdom. Amen. Jesus didn't look at him and say, Well, what's your belief in baptism? What do you think about communion? What about foot washing? What's the member of your church? What church are you a member of? What denomination are you? Jesus didn't say none of that. Jesus looked at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't join a local church. He didn't walk out his faith from day to day. He, he didn't do the sacraments. He just believed Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just do that? Why don't we believe Jesus? Yes. Whether they're in our denomination or not. Whether they're a part of our, our Bible-believing community here or not. Far too long we draw too many lines. We want to separate people by their skin color, their tax bracket, where they live, the accent that they have on their tongue. We want to separate people by the color of their eyes. We want to separate people by their gender. We want to separate people because of all kinds of issues and reasons. But if they love Jesus, you'll know it. Verse 51. When the days grew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. In verse 51, if you know, I wonder if you're like me, if I knew something's going to cause me great pain or something that I really don't want to do, I try to avoid it. I'll, I'll postpone it. I won't go over that way. I won't speak to that person. I won't do that thing because I dread it. What if you knew that thing that you're dreading is going to cost you your life? I, I'm probably sure that I would avoid it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. But here, Jesus sets His face to Jerusalem. For Jesus knows any and everything. For we believe that He is God. And we have spoke about that He had a human nature and a God nature. At this point, He sets His eyes toward Jerusalem. That means He's going to Jerusalem because He's going there to die for sinners. So His God nature here is on display. For His human nature to avoid things of pain and displeasure. But He sets His eye to Jerusalem. Have you heard the song, when Jesus was on the cross, I was on His mind. Jesus is already thinking of you, saint, here in this text. He's already thinking of your failures, your flaws. He's already thinking of your blatant sins. Yet He sets His eyes on Jerusalem. And nothing will deter Him. Nothing will stop Him. For He is on a mission to save sinners. And they just so happen to be here today. Hey, I want to let you know, He set in His heart to save you and redeem you. And nothing could or did stop Him. 
Maybe that's just good to me. Maybe you're good enough to get to heaven on your own merit. Maybe you're good enough to get to heaven on your tithing record. Maybe you're good enough to get to heaven on your perfect, flawless keeping of the law. But I can't. Amen. I, I, I need grace. And thanks be to God that the Son of God came from a rescue mission. Came on a rescue mission from the ivory towers of heaven. Set foot on earth to die for a sinner like me. Thank you, Jesus. I know He's the reason for the season. No, He's the reason for anything. He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Thanks be to God, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Thank you, Jesus, for going to Jerusalem. Thank you for going to Golgotha. Thank you for facing the liars and the insults, the spits in the face, the turncoats, the, the, the fair weather believers, those that one minute were saying Hosanna to the King of Kings and the next minute were saying crucify Him. Thank you, Jesus, for not quitting. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all going to make me have a fit up here in verse 40, verse 52. And he sent messages ahead of him who went and entered the city of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. Now in verse 52, the reason Jesus sent messengers ahead of him is because he was walking with 12 disciples plus the 72. Beyond that, I don't know how many more. So we're looking at close to maybe a hundred disciples that were walking with Jesus. Any small little town that Jesus and His merry band of merry men would walk into would certainly put a crippling on that town. For there are not many houses and there's not food that would help support such a movement. At this point, Jesus has reached a fever pitch of a following. We have heard that He has fed the five thousands. Maybe hundreds or thousands have followed Him as He sends people ahead to the villages that He's getting ready to enter to say, Behold, He's coming. Get ready. Start cooking them beans. Here He comes. Fluff the pillows. The family's coming. The Redeemer's rolling into town. So He's going to the Samaritan cities. Now, if you know your Bible, the Samaritans were the half-Jews. Whole pagans. That means they didn't serve the God of Yahweh. He was one of their gods. And this goes back to the Old Testament. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know of Jerubbabel and Rehoboam. Jeroboam and Jeroboam. You know about these two that had caused the split between Israel and one sets up idols. And it's all because of this. But Jesus sets in His hearts to go to the pagans. Thanks, thanks to God that He goes to the pagans. For I would not be here. <laughs> I would not be here. If Jesus only visited the synagogues and only got the good people, where would we be? That must be true that He seeks out the one that's not with the 99. Unless you've been the one, you don't understand. But I understand. I won't even look for Him and He found me. Ooh, that'll preach, but that's a different day. In verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The people didn't want Jesus. Oh, they loved his power. They loved his miraculous works. The raising of the dead. The dancing of the lame. The blind seeing and the deaf hearing. They loved that. But they didn't want Jesus because he was set to go to Jerusalem. We see here a denominational divide. What do you mean? Well, the Samaritans were still part of the family. They're half Jews. But they rejected Jesus because He was going to Jerusalem. Why don't you stay here in Samaria? Now, aren't our, aren't our churches just as pretty? 
Aren't we just as nicer? Aren't we just as educated as those in Jerusalem? So they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted exclusiveness of Jesus. You just ours and nobody else. You can't, we ain't sharing you with Jerusalem. Stay here. Then Jesus already handled this situation. Why is it repeating? Well, the thing about the Bible is it repeats. It repeats our issues. It repeats it over and over. And God repeats Himself calling us to repentance. See, that's the thing. We can repeat our sins, repeat over and over, repeat over and over. Or we can repent. Repent of our sins. Not repeat them. What about you, believer? Do you repent? Or do you repeat? If you're constantly repeating your sins, you have not recanted, released, tossed away, ran away from your sins. Which is it? Do you repeat your sins? Do you repent while you do your sins? Knowing fully well you'll do it again. You have not truly been forgiven of that sin. No, you have not. You are only forgiven of the sins that you repent of. That means toss to the side and run from. How many of you will hold a boa constrictor in your pocket, your front pocket? Feed it every day something to grow stronger and stronger until it wraps itself around you, until it chokes the life out of you. Why feed your sins when you should be killing them? We shouldn't take up offering after those kind of comments. That ain't how you build a church. But that's how you preach the gospel. Calling people to repentance. It's not popular anymore. Nobody likes to do that. Because the preacher wants to be liked. I know most of you already don't like me, so it don't really matter. I'm just going to preach the gospel. Just tell you the truth. Tell you. Repent of your sins, your favorite sins. Things that you love. Things that you're willing to die for. Repent of them. You don't really need therapy. You don't need medicine. You need repentance. Don't go to your doctor and say, my preacher said don't take my medicine. I take your insulin. That ain't what I'm talking about. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. You know what your sins are. I don't have to print out anything to show you what the sins are. If it makes you holy, do that. If it makes you righteous, if it makes you love Jesus more, do that. But here, the Samaritans want exclusiveness. They want Jesus and they don't want to share Him to nobody else. Church, we don't have Jesus on retainer. He's not just our Jesus. He's progressive around the ways Jesus too. He's Fallen Creek around the ways church. He, he's the big church around the corner and the small church on the other side. He, he's, he's Lord of all. Far too, long, far too long Christians stand in a firing squad. But the thing is, the firing squad's in a circle. And we're just shooting each other. Whenever somebody falls, we kick them while they're down instead of praying for them. Just because they're not in your denomination. They don't read the same version of the Bible. Mm, it got real quiet in here, didn't it? But that's okay. I heard a church mouse over here squeak. I heard it. Amen. Let us not kick each other while they're down. If we're going to put them down, put them down on your prayer list. Amen. So the Samaritans want exclusiveness of Jesus. In verse number 54, when His disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do You want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The sons of thunder, verse 54, that's their nicknames. You, you know, they got that name because they whispered when they spoke. They got that name because they were soft. They got that name because they were Mr. Rogers-like. You know, they put on the vest and said, why can't we be friends? You know, that, no, 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 no. 
The sons of thunder were a little abrasive. Sons of thunder were a little loud. In fact, you will think they probably wouldn't be the kind of person you want to hang out with. Voisterous and zealous. In fact, they look at Jesus and said, You know that story with Elijah and the prophets of Baal when God sent down the fireball to consume the, the offering as well as the offering of the Baal servants? Why don't we call down the same fire to consume the ones, Jesus, that reject you? Why don't we call on your wrath to wipe them out? Come on, Jesus. I had it, and I know you have to. You've seen how these sinners have been acting. You've seen how they've been living, Jesus. Call down your fire and your power and wipe them out, Jesus. And you know, Jesus said, yeah, let's do that. No, He didn't. Jesus corrects them. Jesus says in verse 56, no, verse 55, He turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Other Gospels account says, Jesus looks at them and says, don't you even know what spirit you're of? Church, I, I know you've seen the news. I know you've seen transgenders. I seen, we've seen people who are responsible for children giving puberty blockers where children are confused, don't know if they're boys or girls. I, I know you've seen people parading in the street wicked things that ought not to be mentioned. They should be kept in, the, in, in private, but they're out in the public square. And if you don't agree with them, you're not of love, you're a bigot and you're hateful. I, I know you're tired of being called hateful and narrow-minded. I know you are. I know you're tired of being called old-fashioned and archaic. I know you've been called evil and wicked, been slandered, hated on, lost jobs, lost promotions, lost family, lost friends because of your stance on who Christ is. I know you have. But you have no right to turn. Turn to them and attack them and invoke the wrath of God on them. You just don't. Where do you get that, preacher? They've rejected Christ in this situation. But Jesus simply walks past them. I'm sure as He walked past them, He walked by them in love. But He turned them over. In the book of Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, He just simply turns them over to their lusts. If someone has wronged you, if someone has hated on you, if someone has even harmed you, don't invoke the wrath of God on them because the wrath of God is already on them. It is. We know that for John 3, 16, 17, and 18. For they're walking as children of disobedience and the wrath of God is on them. With that known, Christian, you're called to pray for them. Pray for them. God, show mercy to them. Have mercy on the wicked. For I know you will have a day of recompense. I know there will be a judgment day. But Jesus, have mercy on those who harm the body of Christ. That harm me and my family. God, have mercy on them. Lord, I plead for their salvation. Oh, you need an example? Is that what you need? Do you need an example of this? Well, I'll take you to the ultimate example. There He is. The same Jesus. Listen to me. The same Jesus that said these words. Not only said them, but does them. Do you smell 
the iron in the air from His blood as He's hanging there on the cross? Do you feel the sun beating down on your head as you're looking up as our Savior is hanging there, suffering with a crown of thorns in His brow, bleeding profusely? Do you see Him there gasping for each breath as the nails that were driven into His wrists held Him there? Do you hear the, the insults of the crowd around Mocking Him. Daring Him to do something. Here He is, the author of life. Suspended between heaven and earth. Dying. He caught Himself the water of life. And He says, I thirst. And they gave Him wine for the tip of His tongue. And He spit it out because He didn't need anything numbing the pain that He was going through. And he looks down and he sees he sees the centurions and the guards playing dice over his clothes as he dies. Oh, that's cold. Instead of hurling insults back at his enemies, what does he do? First of all, he starts to quote the Bible. He quotes Psalm 22. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people thought that he's saying that God has turned his back, but he's really, in a moment of all his lowest point of all of history, he's singing Bible verses to God. But then he looks out at the people and he says, Forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Do you pray that way? over your enemies? Do you pray that way over that family member who purposely hurts you? Do you? I know it's a resounding no. I know it's not. But I want to let you know when He hung His head and He died there on the cross, He literally was forsaken by God because God placed our sins on Him. He thirsted so we don't have to thirst for righteousness. He was wounded so we could be healed. He was stricken and bore shame so we didn't have to. And they took Him off that cross and placed Him in a borrowed grave because they had to borrow one because He won't be there long. For three days He lay dead. But on that beautiful morning when the Sun broke the eastern sky, he rose again. Rose like a God. And he asks you and invokes of you, do you not know what spirit you're of? He is a God of redeeming, not of God of revenge. What if God got revenge on you every time you slighted him and disobeyed him? Where would you be? He's a God of mercy and forgiveness. I can't even go no further. I want to just marinate there. For if God does not forgive, where would we be? Yet God forgives. Even on people who don't even ask for it, He forgives. You might be carrying a grudge today and you're angry at somebody and they don't even want mercy or forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Good, you described you. 
You cannot earn the kind of forgiveness that you've received. So we don't go around evoking wrath on anybody. We don't go around saying, I hope all your goats die. We don't go around saying, I, I hope you get body dandruff and you get halitosis and I hope you melt your glasses when you talk. I hope, I hope you lose your job. I, I hope badness falls upon you. No, we don't do that. We pray for them. Asking God to show mercy to them like He's shown towards us. I put the cookies on the bottom shelf this morning. It comes down to this. If you don't remember nothing else, remember this. Forgiving people, forgive people. If you are forgiven today and your ledger is wiped clean, you owe nothing before God. You are redeemed. Jesus paid it in full. Then you have no right to hold offenses toward anybody else. You're called to carry the cross, not grudges. No hatchets. No burdens. That's why Jesus said, if you are heavy laden and burdensome, come unto me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why don't you trade that burden today for a cross? That anger, that bitterness, that resentment that you're holding, that unforgiveness, breaking the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Literally, that's what you're doing. You're carrying around dead anger, bitterness that's infecting your whole soul and it's killing you slowly. You don't even see it. This morning, lay it down. Lay it down. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Let us bow our heads this morning. Father, this morning, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to know that Jesus bore my sin. He bore my iniquities. He washed me and He cleaned me. He redeemed me. This morning, dear Lord, I, I'm not to bear a grudge any longer. I'm to